Welcome to episode 308 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Black. Welcome back for another episode, one that should be listened to at 1.25x or thereabouts. Wait, why? Every week I do show notes and I listen back to us and I listen at one and a quarter, one and a half x and it sounds normal. It sounds fine. It sounds good. And then every now and then I'll slow it down to 1x to make sure if I'm going to do a cut, like I get the exact second, right? Uh-huh. And we sound like we're in slow motion, Brian. It's so, <laughs> so stupid. I listened, I listened back at 1.3. So yeah, I guess 1.25 is probably the appropriate speed. I think that plus, plus Drew editing out all the dumb shit we say makes us actually sound like we have our shit together and we're like forming cohesive sentences. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, most of the time. Hey, you know, this is also kind of a special episode well a little bit actually i guess next week will be but we're getting very close to your one year anniversary on design details marshall oh, yeah yeah i thought something felt special just think about that uh 256 <laughs> to 308 actually so your first one was 257 so yeah 309 next week it happens so quickly but they grow up so quick <laughs> <laughs> you become a little, little podcast adolescent in no time <laughs> used to be knee high to a podcaster yeah <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, that's coming up, but let's get into this week's episode. We don't have any sponsors, which means we can get right into it. All right, follow-up. We got a little bit of follow-up this week. We do. Okay, so a uh, friend of the pod, Divya Talk, Divya writes in, and she says, Without being a creepy human on the internet, because I just realized that all my recent tweets are after I hear a design details episode, I feel like you're me, but somewhere far away, like the Masterclass reference. Ah, they are just incredible. So Divya is a similar soul. A similar soul in Bangalore, India. Think about that. Opposite side of the planet. Super cool. Cheers, Divya. Uh, You know, it's cool. I'm over here. I guess you and Marshall can be twins on opposite sides of the planet. (laughs) I'll uh, I'll just be the (laughs) co-host. Yeah, but it's always it's always cool. Like, I mean, this this happens for me. Well, I'll, I'll listen to a podcast, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Jeff Kanata, Brian. Do you know who Jeff Kanata is? No. He is a nerd. He has done podcasts for a long time. He had a uh, a show on Revision Three back in the day. If you know what Revision Three is, yeah, yeah, okay. Called uh, Totally Rad Show with two other guys. It's basically a video podcast that they would do reviewing movies and TV shows and games and stuff. And I almost always agreed with him. And it was cool watching him over the years where I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm into that, too. Or, oh, that's a new thing. I wonder if I'll like it. He liked it. Oh, shit, I like it, too. You know, you find these people where you're like, oh, this is a similar person just elsewhere. Right. Kindred Internet spirits. Yeah. Kindred spirits. There you go. That's what I was looking for. Uh, If we had just fun titles like we used to, that could be the name of this episode is Kindred Internet Spirits. I was thinking the same thing, Brian. Great minds. (laughs) Great minds. Anyways, thanks for the tweet, Divya. Yeah, appreciate that. All right, we've got some updates on iOS 13 as well. Beta 5 dropped between last week and this week. So, Marshall, what changed? Okay, so we we had a few questions. We're like, hmm, I wonder why this is like this. Turns out the answer is because it's a fucking beta, Brian, and it's not done yet. (laughs) It was a bug. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, or or not even a bug. It's just like maybe a thing they hadn't gotten to yet, right? Or a middle state of a process. So... That's that's the trouble with uh, reviewing betas is it ain't done yet. So there's a couple things that we called out, such as the grouping of actions in the share sheet, right? They're kind of for all their own individual action on a separate card, essentially. Uh, we're like, why don't they group those and put them together and maybe set the, the manage one aside? Well, guess what? In the new one, they do. They do exactly that. And it looks much better. And now it has me wondering, are we just going all the way back to 
like the iOS 6 style uh, grouped table views where it's all going to be inset with rounded corners? Or like, <laughs> what's the rule on when you should use one versus the other? Uh-huh. This is something that I, I, as I was listening back to the episode, I was like, oh, shit, we should have called this out, which is, yeah, this is the style of iOS 6 and before grouped sections in a list, uh, which I always preferred. I didn't like the full width ones in iOS 7 and forward up until now. So I, I don't know what the rule is. Uh, maybe if it's a group of actions as opposed to like a list. I don't know. A group of actions instead of navigation items. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If, it's, if it's not going to take you to a subsequent screen through a push, then maybe use this. Or I don't know. I mean, I think there's still perfectly valid reasons to to group sections anyways. I'm, I'm not sure if that other pattern will continue to exist or if they will both exist side by side, you know? Yeah, it's it, it's a strange pattern. I wish maybe there is something in the HIG and I just haven't seen it, but I'm wondering if they'll add some some clarity to like when to use different kinds of table views and groupings. And like even in the new share sheet, so they group the table views and they're inset and they have rounded corners. And in order to edit them, you scroll all the way to the bottom and there's just like a blue floating link on the view. It's not its own list item, which it, I think it was previously. It said customize. It was, yeah, it was its own little card called manage. Dot, dot, dot. Manage, manage, yeah. And so now that's gone and it's a blue link. I, I don't know. I'm not really clear on what the rules of interaction here are for these things. My guess is that blue link is also an intermediate state <laughs> because... Oh, yeah, maybe this will... Yeah, let's let's say this is also probably just a beta thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm not assuming. But, but I, I do think this has moved forward and gotten better. Also, we mentioned private mode and dark mode. There's there's lots of mode higgledy-piggledy talk, and it's hard to follow. Hopefully you followed along. But our concern was that in dark mode, how do you determine private mode versus non-private mode? Because previously, private mode has always been dark, and normal mode has always been light, right? So a suggestion was to change the location bar color, so it's always like dark in private mode because that's to seem to be the pattern that they were going with in light mode but it wasn't that way in dark mode and then maybe use color elsewhere to define that and turns out yes that's what they did and so in private mode the toolbar icons at the bottom instead of being blue are now black or white depending on what, what color mode you're in and they're always blue in normal mode so hey that's better now too go figure <laughs> there you go so yeah all these things that were like this is kind of weird i wonder why they did this uh is because they were in a beta so yeah note to self for future reference but i think that's expected and, and that's fine like we'll be able to watch the changes over time and actually i, I prefer having a little bit of a change log like having a, a baseline and then we can see the iterations over time it's a learning experience as opposed to just waiting for the like gm to drop yeah, that's that's why I like being on these betas is because you get to you get an inside view. It's it's all reading between the lines and everything, but you get this inside scoop on what the process is behind the scenes. You get to see things evolve and change as time goes on, and eventually it locks in. You start to see things like, oh, that hasn't changed in like four betas. Like that's probably what that's going to be. Okay, locked that's locked in. in. Yeah. Yep. So I I love being you know a, an observer, a fly on the wall of the process. Likewise. Cool. And then our last piece of follow-up this week comes by way of email. That old thing. Email. Nick Dyka, friend of the pod, actually this is first time we've heard from Nick, writes in, (laughs) I hate to burst your bubble, but the Nielsen Norman group, actually hang on, let me preface this. Nick wrote us a very nice message beforehand. But the real follow-up here is this, the last paragraph of the email. Also, I really hate to burst your bubble, but the Nielsen Norman Group is already selling It Depends merch. What the fuck? Scandalous. They're stealing from us, Brian. 
I think they pulled an Avengers Endgame time heist and <laughs> fucking stole our merch idea. Uh, Tony. Tony. <laughs> you could have used your powers for good, but you stole our merch idea. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Nick Nick gave us the heads up. It's at nngroup.com. No, I'm not going to plug their URL. They're selling <laughs> They're selling mugs and shirts that say it depends, and they look bad, so we should make better ones. Fair enough. <laughs> Also, I shouldn't be that aggressive. They're fine. I have nothing. <laughs> yeah, I, have, was, I have nothing that, against the Nielsen Norm group. That was super aggressive. I have no no preference. I just think that we could make a more visually striking. It depends merch. So, anyways, well, my note on this is that ours would have a period as we've been planning it. Ours would have a period at the end of depends. So definitive. Definitive yeah. dot at the end, and theirs doesn't have a period at the end. So basically, ours is totally different. This is the vanilla ice. Dun 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 dun. dun. Dun 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 argument of uh, copyright infringement. Yeah. So I think we're good to go. The devil's in the details, as we say here on the podcast called Design Details. <laughs> is that what we say? I think that's our slogan. Sure, can be. Uh, all right, design Nick. is in the details. Oh wait, <laughs> the di- design is in the devil. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the email, Nick, and thanks for the link giving us a heads up about our arch nemeses that have some sort of time travel device out in the world. It's good to know about. All right. Uh, no more follow-up, Marshall, unless you got anything else. I think that's it. I think that's good. Let's uh, move on to the news. Yeah, big news. So at the time of listening, it will have been a little less than a week since the announcement, the public launch, the landmark announcement of the Figma plugin system. It's here. It's here. It's here. And they've launched with some uh, great featured plugins from independent developers, companies, and some of them are particularly useful. Some of them are very creative and have lots of promise. And I'm excited to see where, where they go with it. But yeah, this is pretty big news, actually. If you think about the broader trends in design tools, obviously, it's kind of always been this back and forth between Figma and Sketch. And they have loosely approached design tools from opposite ends of the uh, like product spectrum, right? Like Sketch... Mm-hmm. almost has plugins baked into its DNA, which is a little bit weird because it took them a long time to get great documentation for it. But people had been hacking plugins for a long, long time. And now they're working their way towards more collaborative features like Sketch Teams and, and Sketch Cloud. And then conversely, you have Figma that started with collaboration at its core. And it was you know the multiplayer, the, the web-first experience, run it on any device, and now they're they're migrating their way to to supporting plugins and having a developer ecosystem. And so now I feel like we're at this point where they're colliding in the middle and we'll see, you know, how they come out on on either side. Figma has a lot of catching up to do in terms of ecosystem maturity. Sketches is robust and there are some really really powerful plugins mm-hmm. and obviously people are just getting started with what's possible on Figma. Super early days. Here's what I'm excited about. And here's what I'm not excited about. I'm excited about the fact that Figma plugins are JavaScript. And so Rasmus Anderson, designer at Figma, he's released a small program that will help people build Figma plugins. And it uses TypeScript and React. And it helps you basically just bootstrap a plugin within a couple commands. And so that's possible because these languages are really accessible to probably the design audience and certainly to developers. JavaScript is a very accessible language. And so I'm wondering if that's going to lead to this boom in in apps overall. 
The downside of this is I'm not sure what level of access they'll have to system APIs. And maybe it's maybe it's a lot. I, I actually am not really sure how this will work. But as far as I know, Sketch can get fairly low level to talking to to Mac OS APIs. Okay. So anyways, I can't speak too much there because I'm, I'm not technically proficient in either. But this is my cursory understanding of the differences in the ecosystems. And maybe somebody can tweet and educate me on, on what I've missed. But I think that those decisions or those foundational philosophies on how plugins should work will possibly have a pretty long-term impact on, on what ends up happening here with the Figma sketch war of the design tools. I'm curious though, so okay, I've, I've talked a little bit about it. I'm curious your impression have, now that you've seen Figma plugins launch as, as a diehard sketch user, does this tempt you at all, Marshall? I mean, it, it certainly makes switching less painful, right? That's true. Yeah, it's, it was definitely one of the... It, it's been really interesting to see, as you mentioned earlier, how Sketch and Figma have basically attacked the same problem from different ends and are now kind of meeting in the middle and passing each other. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh-huh. So like now Sketch is trying to catch up in the things that Figma's been good at it, and Figma's trying to catch up with the things that Sketch has been good at it. So I don't know, it's just fascinating for me to watch. So... Now that we're in this space, I think that knowing that Figma didn't have plugins was definitely a kind of a deal breaker for me, considering how often I use plugins in Sketch. So, because I know that the, the out of the box experience of Figma just probably wouldn't do it for me, right? Right, right. So, this is really cool. Now, I have to wait for all of the things that I need to be written because. I'm not going to write them. Yeah, yeah. Well, Brian, you could. are you busy? Do you want to? If I had an idea for a plugin that I was dying to have, I would give it a shot. I can give you a list. Uh, If you're serious, send me a list. All right, I'll send you a list. When they had the plugins beta, I started digging in and I couldn't find a compelling enough idea that I wanted to work on. Dark mode to light mode to dark mode. One button switch. <sighs> Okay. Right? Sure. <laughs> sure, dude. <laughs> Select an artboard, hit a keyboard shortcut. It crawls through every item in that artboard, sees if it's a symbol. Do they call them symbols? Yeah. It sees if it's a symbol. If it's a symbol, it checks the name. If the name contains dark, find one that, you know, switch it with the, or swap it out for the one that has the light name. And then you just have to have your naming conventions worked out, but make my dark light mode. <sighs> plugin for me and for everybody else but mostly for me but mostly for you yeah yeah i'll, I'll do all this work for you the non-figma user that's a great <laughs> idea hey i might switch over yeah i also I, I realized they call them components not symbols they're components and instances yeah i thought there was some other word for it but yeah is that a compelling enough idea for you to like research and and see maybe you might do it i'm just curious to see how hard it would be right i want to see if there is already there's probably just a way to architect your components in a way that you can just use their component switcher. Like anytime you have an instance of a component, they provide a dropdown to let you switch the instance to a different type of component. Yeah, yeah, I know. So if you just had that, like that seems easier than building a plugin to do it. Yeah, but if there's a bunch of things on screen, I don't have to do it for all of them. Can you do a multi-select and like right-click and say revert? Or, or like, no, no, you'd have to switch them individually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fuck that. I'm not doing that, Brian. <laughs> Give me a button. I want a one button. Give me a keyboard shortcut. That's what I want. Okay. Okay. Let me hit a keyboard shortcut and have it do it just for the artboard that I have selected. Sure, sure, sure. Or okay. parentheses S, artboards. Yeah. Frames. 
Okay. Uh, send me send me other ideas. Send me easier ideas. Okay. I, I have lots of like renaming and and reordering things I use. Uh, well, you should check out what they have so far. So a few of the plugins that have launched so far that seem to be gathering a little bit of momentum. Uh, there's one from Unsplash to get images into your your mocks. There's one called Autoflow to draw arrows in between things that you've selected, which is something that I've really missed because Sketch has great sort of flow chart e type plugins yeah. that draws arrows and lines in between artboards to signify like here's a branch and a flow so that's a plugin uh, a lot of content population there's some contrast checking plugins one of them is called stark to check contrast in line one called mapsicle it's an interface to select a portion of a map and then insert that image of the map into your oh. into your artboard as like a background fill i could have used that like six years ago yeah yeah uh google sheets sync like I think Google Sheets Sync will probably it should probably just evolve to be like generic API connector, and you could define some set of rules of like these fields from the API should apply to this type of named layer or like a text layer with this yeah with this name or a rectangle layer with this name. But anyways, they're starting out with Google Sheets Sync. So there's some cool stuff in here. Cool. Yeah, yeah. This is like a huge a huge step. I'm excited for them. It's a huge step, but it's also the first step. So it, it will be fun to see this evolve. And yeah, we'll just plug that Rasmus's fig, fig plug, a way to just sort of bootstrap a plug in with a couple commands. I think that level of accessibility might be the winning ticket here for getting people to to contribute back and, and build plugins. Yeah, I, I've never even considered writing a sketch plugin. I wouldn't have considered writing a, a Figma plugin, but if there's like a bootstrappy kind of thing, I might I might take a shot at it. Yeah. And if people like me are more willing to do it, that's a good sign. Yeah, that's a good sign. Cool. So anyways, congrats Figma for, for launching that. No small feat. And I'm excited to see what people build. Mm-hmm. Size 14s. No small feet, Brian. Size 14s. No small feet. Oh. <laughs> for all of you missing Bryn, there's your pun for the week. <laughs> there's your pun for the year, finally. Yeah, there you go. It happened. I make puns periodically. Yeah, yeah. But uh, certainly less than, than Bryn. I'll, yeah. I'll try to do better. Okay. So, someone mentioned that in, on Twitter. So I, I hear you. I'm working on it. Step your game up. No small feet. Okay, we've got two listener questions this week. The first one comes from Twitter, from Dolly Yang. Dolly is location, the internet on Twitter. Dolly asks, what advice do you have for a one-person app developer who has almost no design experience to get started with design and make better apps through design? Wow. One-person app developer with no design experience. Well, I guess my first question would be, what platform are you designing on? Okay. And we don't have an answer, do we? No. Okay. So what platform are you designing on? If you're designing for iOS... Read the HIG. If you're designing for Android, read the material spec. That's a great place to start. And not so much just so, not so that you'll like do all those things, but I think from just a design learning perspective, if you read through them, especially the material spec, I think the Apple HIG has gotten a little bit more vague in recent years. I don't know. Does that track with how you see it? Yeah, vague. And then I've, I've noticed some legalese sneaking in there. <laughs> so I don't know. The The material seems the most true to like, this is people talking about design and design yeah. principles and the rules and laws of design. It's truly, yeah, it's truly a walkthrough of the system, right? And yeah. as your hand is being held through and they're saying, here's what you can do and here's why we do this, right? Here's what you can do and here's what you shouldn't do. 
reading between those lines and reading those lines themselves is super informational. And you, you can learn a lot just by seeing how others think about design. I would also recommend that Design Principles site that we uh, used on our episode, Design Principles. I forget which number that was. Do you know, Brian? 297? Sounds right. But we had an episode called Design Principles. So uh, listen to that and also check out the site there. I'll put it in the show notes for this episode. Oh, 271. Holy shit, 271. Whoa. Whoa. Long time ago. Yeah, so I think I would get started with those fundamentals and just looking through existing design systems, not only so that you can fit in on your platform, whichever one that happens to be, but also so that you can see how those who designed the platform you're going to be living on think about that system. I would also call out, there's a resource called Refactoring UI, which is made by Adam Wathen and Steve Sugar. Oh yeah, great suggestion. Refactoringui.com. And this is a book with videos and like courses and stuff that you can buy. But there's also just this series called Design Tips, which is actually just a series of tweets by Steve Shoger. And these tweets are fantastic. They show here's here's a problem that you're having on the left. Here's a way to fix it on the right with really clear visuals and like explanation of, of what's changed. So uh, refactoring UI, I would recommend that as a resource. I found this seems to be really popular and is very approachable and I think it's become popular among developers like you, Dolly, who are not quite as experienced with design and just need some pointers and tips. Yeah, and and yeah, this this refactoring UI thing is so great, not just because it tells you what to do, but it shows you why it's different from what not to do, right? It puts them right next to each other. This is wrong and this is right and here's why. And I think I don't know, even if I wasn't a designer, I think looking at each of these examples, it would be obvious which one is the better one. Yes. It's not always easy to look at two things or to look at something that's good and identify why it's good. Mm-hmm. So being able to see, oh, this is what it would be if it was bad, like that, that compare and contrast is a useful exercise. And continue bringing that same eye into everything that you see, like in order to, if you want to think like a designer, like start to see like a designer. And whenever you see an interface, Try to determine based on these things that you've learned, like, is this good or is this bad and why? Yep. The last thing that I would call out, this is sort of related to the HIG and to the material spec, which is if you're building for mobile devices, I think anytime I've seen anybody try to build custom UI, it's really, really hard to get right from an interaction perspective, from a cross-device perspective. Yeah handling all the accessibility stuff. Like obviously all this depends on the type of app that you're building, but there's certain conventions that it's not a big deal to just use the system defaults. If you're building a setting screen, just copy and paste the way a setting screen looks on iOS or Android. Like these are fine things in my opinion to just fall back to the system defaults. And if you feel like it's not creative or it doesn't distinguish your your product enough, there are other ways to do that besides the setting screens and, and like lists of things, you know, there's other other avenues you could tap uh, around like iconography or, or color. So anyways, yeah, I, I tend to like that as well. Just fall back to system defaults when you can. So study the patterns of the platforms where you're building. Now, if you're building on the web, that's not always possible. So yeah, I think refactoring UI is a good resource there. But even, you know, like from from an engineering perspective, you can try and study and break down user interfaces into understandable patterns and components. And I think 
to do that, you just need to be conscientious of like looking at websites, looking at patterns of navigation and interaction and trying to get in the mind of somebody who made that and say, why is this the thing? Why is this the way that it is? And that exercise alone is probably going to get you at least part of the way there, right? Like to understanding why decisions or how different decisions have different outcomes. Yeah, that's the question I'm always asking. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I suppose that could be a little bit hand wavy in, in Dolly's case. Anyways, it's hard to be too specific here, right? Like, I guess we don't know what you're building, but yeah. And it's a lot easier to design interfaces than it is to design experiences. So if, if you're asking about designing experiences, that's, that's a much harder question to answer. But, but as far as like interfaces go, like you can, you can teach yourself that right through the resources that we mentioned. Teach yourself. But yeah. For experiences. I don't think I'm good at designing experiences, Brian, like, and I've been doing it for a long time. And every time I send one of my designs to a research study, I I'm reminded again, oh yes, that's right. I'm not good at this. I need, <laughs> I need multiple tries to get it right. Yeah. I think I'm probably similar to you as well. Like I probably am stronger on the interfaces side and less strong on the like overall experience side. But I'm quite comfortable with that for the reason that you just mentioned, which is you have this beautiful process called user research where you can show your thing to other people and they will tell you what you did wrong or by just simply using it, it will be immediately apparent what you did wrong. You don't have to guess. So I find that to be a particularly useful thing for, you know, if you're not as strong on the experience side. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, I'm, I'm not unique. Like most of us are not good at this. Like the, it's a rarity to find somebody who like is able to design a perfect user experience the first time through without testing it and getting feedback because it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. And your assumptions are going to be wrong most yep. of the time. Yep. So Dolly, uh, I hope that was a little bit helpful, but send us another message back if you have more specifics about what you're building or platforms you're building on, and we can try and be more specific as well. But in the meantime, hopefully the... Happy to expound. Yeah, the resources that we linked will be useful. So check those in the show notes. And we have a second question. This one is from Anonymous. This person asks, how do you reconcile icon systems between platforms? For example, do you have different icon systems for web, iOS, and Android? Or do you try and make them all consistent with uh, a brand icon set? Yes. <laughs> yes. Both oh. Of- oh, hang on. What? <laughs> yeah, both of those are valid strategies. I mean, not at the same time, right? But like both of those are valid strategies. Hang on. So either having an icon set per platform or having a brand icon system that is the same across platforms. Correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, either you want to be bold and say, this is our brand, this is our style, this is what our icons look like, OS be damned, right? I feel like that's like the Airbnb approach. Yep, that's accurate. Twitter is another good example, right? Like, this is what our icons look like. They're these shape and they have these rounded corners and they do these things that other icons on the on the platform don't do, but that's because we're Twitter and this is what we look like, right? So if you're bold about it, that doesn't mean you can't necessarily adopt the shape of the default icon, right? So if, I think the perfect example here is share, right? So on iOS, share is the tank, right? It's the box with the arrow coming out of it. Looks like a tank from the top down. And and on Android, Material uses, I call them the molecules, but it's kind of like a little node system, one node splitting to two nodes, right? 
That's right. their that's their uh, glyph for for share. And then on the web, I don't even I don't even know what share is on the web. It's the word share, maybe I don't know <laughs> a, a text, a hyperlink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A, a blue the the word share in blue with an underline. That's mm-hmm. that's what that is. Yeah, I don't know. So what I would do is I would I guess you could combine them, like I said earlier, where like okay, we have a brand and this is our identity and stuff, and and this is what our icons look like, and but still use the existing shape. Or you could just say, guess what? This is what our share icon looks like. So so YouTube, for example, my thoughts are my own. I do not speak for my employer. But <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. <laughs> exactly. But YouTube uses a custom share icon. They also say the word share next to it in, in almost every circumstance. So there's no ambiguity as to what this icon means. See also previous episode where I complained about icons and labels. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think share is a perfect example of this. So I, YouTube has taken the, the stance of saying, this is what our share icon looks like. It doesn't look like iOS. It doesn't look like Android. It doesn't look like anybody else. It's our share icon, but it's the same on Android, iOS, and everywhere else, right? So the interesting thing about the YouTube share button, though, is that it doesn't bring up the default share sheet for the platform that it's on, right? So on iOS, when you pull up the share sheet, normally it, it gives you the, the OS system, the OS share sheet, right? But when you tap it on uh, YouTube, you get this intermediate like custom share sheet that YouTube uses, right? Right. Uh, and then there's a button in there to, to uh, invoke the, the, the OS share sheet, but... There's this intermediate step, which might be a good justification for the custom icon. So if if you have a custom share sheet that intercedes before the system share sheet, then you then you might have a better justification for using a custom glyph. Does this make sense? Yep, it makes sense. Go one way or the other. If you break a platform convention with an icon, i.e. share, it is helpful if the result of tapping on the icon also breaks the OS convention so that the things are not confused it's not to say that it has to but if you're gonna have a middleman share sheet maybe maybe change the icon to mean to be slightly different so the expectation isn't that right got it got it hope that's useful anonymous how to reconcile icon systems between platforms i'm trying to think of other examples of apps that have done this or broken out i guess you could probably just find any example of either of these two scenarios right like somebody that just does strong brand icons or somebody that does platform specific so I hope that's helpful, Anonymous. So that's it for listener questions this week. Let's wrap up, Marshall. Have we got cool things? We do have cool things. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, I think I went first last week. Okay, cool. So my cool thing is back to my MO. Uh, it's a YouTube video or a YouTube series. Oh, finally. Back to the good old Marshall. Ah, uh, yeah. The you know, home stomping grounds. Okay, so... This is not so much a channel as a series of videos on a channel. So are you familiar with uh, Bon Appetit, Brian? Yes. Not just the French phrase, but the magazine, the food magazine. The one at all the grocery store counter stands, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's the series on the, the YouTube channel, not not the magazine, but on the, on the YouTube channel. And uh, it's called Gourmet Makes. And so it's one of the chefs at, at Bon Appetit named Claire who I love. She's amazing. But she has the series where she uh, is given a challenge to make some sort of processed candy or like junk food into a gourmet version of that thing. So what are some cool past episodes that are examples of this? Well, pastry chef attempts to make dot, 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 a gourmet Twinkie, Gushers, Cheetos, <laughs> Kit Kats, Skittles, Lucky Charms, Oreos, Twizzlers, Snowballs, Instant Ramen, 
Snickers, Pringles, Ferrero Rocher, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, Cheez-Its, Peeps, Almond Joys, Doritos, Twix, Starburst, and Pop Rocks is the most recent episode. So that's a lot of content if you like Claire, which I do. Uh, I believe that's 21 episodes. But each one is super interesting because she has to go through the process of figuring out, like, how the fuck did they make this thing? Like, how do I remake this in a kitchen? How do you make Gushers at home? I thought that was just, like, those could only come out of a chemical factory. Yeah, yeah, it's a giant machine <laughs> and like, with conveyor belts and stuff, and out one end comes Gushers, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the only way it works, right? Pretty sure that's how it works, yeah. So for all of these things, what she usually ends up doing is going to YouTube and looking at, like, how they made it videos of, like, of the factory of, you know, of, of the machines. So you're like, okay, this is the, this is the order of the steps they don't give you all the details or anything, but she has enough of a background that she can kind of figure this out. Like, okay, I need a shortcake. I know how to make a shortcake, right? So each of these episodes is really good. They're not super long. They're about like 20, 30 minutes each. Uh, not too bad. And she generally is very good. Like the, the outcome is kind of what you would expect. Like, yeah, this is a gourmet version of that thing. But it's so cool to watch the process of how she gets there and to see her coworkers, her colleagues' reactions as they taste test the thing, because they are familiar with the Doritos or the Twinkies or whatever that she's trying to replicate. Right, so, right. And then they kind of score her. It's not official or anything. There's no, like, you know, uh, there's no uh, cards with numbers on them or anything, but, like, they, they'll, like, tell her how good she did. And usually she hits a, a point where she's like, I'm happy. I'm not doing this anymore. This has been several days. I'm done, <laughs> right? But, yeah, really fun to watch. So, Claire, Gourmet Makes on Bon Appetit. Great, cool thing. I think I'm most interested in the gourmet Cheetos. Yeah, that was a good one. That's interesting, right? Yeah, because it's like puffed cornmeal, right? Yeah. Huh. Okay. And she tries really hard to get them exact. Like the Oreos, she made a mold of an Oreo so that her cookie tops and bottoms had the Oreo. Like actually looked like an Oreo. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like Yeah, she goes all out. She's really trying hard to, to, to recreate it, but... Usually with better ingredients and, you know, instead of artificial flavoring, she'll use real, you know, gourmet. Very cool. Okay. What's your cool thing, Brian? Cool. My cool thing this week is a website that has been making its way around the internet now for a couple of weeks hmm. and seems worth worth calling it out in case anyone missed it. I'm guessing your hmm means you missed it as well, Marshall. Yeah, I'm, I'm unfamiliar. This website is called poolside.fm. And it is a way to listen to some cool jams. Oh, would... What is this ASCII art? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just go to it. This, oh, hang on. Dolly, this is what we call experience design. Mm. So when you get into poolside.fm, now the, they've recreated like sort of a retro Mac OS sort of UI with like drag and drop windows and the windows represent applications that do different things. So this isn't particularly new, but the cohesiveness of each of the features and the overall tone of the product are really well put together so it's dedicated to uh i I don't know how i would describe this chill vibes yeah this is like almost vaporwave yeah yeah it's like music videos and you can choose different backgrounds for for the os and there's you know like a little player and you can i don't know lots of tiny details and you can actually just click around here and spend some time seeing what's possible, you know, double click here, right click there. I'm just watching bad 80s commercials now. (laughs) This is great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad that you're enjoying it. Um, So yeah, maybe throw this on in the background whenever you get a chance. That's uh, poolside.fm. 
Wow. What a find, Brian. Holy shit. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? Yeah, I feel I'm glad I went first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this will be your week. There you go. Cool. Well, good episode, Brian. Hopefully people listen to it at faster than 1x. Yeah, yeah. Throw this on 1.3. I'll say 1.3. Marshall says 1.25. One and a quarter, one and a half. Somewhere in there is a sweet spot. Yeah. Well, we hope you enjoyed it at whatever speed you're listening to. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. Shoot us a tweet if you have questions that you would like us to discuss or answer or bring guests on to answer. Send us a direct message. We read all of them. We do our best to answer as many as we can. Uh, so keep those coming. In the meantime, if you need more podcasts, go to spec.fm. That's our podcast network for designers and developers just like you. Those shows are produced and edited by our producer and editor and master and the the people behind the show that make us sound way smarter than we are. And that is Sarah and Drew. So go listen to more shows at spec.fm. And thank you, Sarah and Drew, for another episode of Design Details and, and working your magic on this audio. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, that's it. And we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Ooh. Yeah. A little little, uh, English on that one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A little twist. (laughs) Spritz. Cool. (laughs) You want me to keep going? (laughs) Yeah, no, please. A flare. A little spice. Ooh. (laughs) A little razzmatazz.